0: I want to ask: Have you had any conversations recently uh, that started out sounding something like this? Hey, how you doing? Haven't heard from you a while. What's new? How things are going? I, I think I may have actually had that conversation five times already this morning. Um, and our natural tendency, at least my natural tendency, is to respond with a, a quick couple of words. You know, I'm good. It's all good, how about you? And um, that's just sort of some of the ways that we begin uh, conversations. But here's the question, what about those times when things aren't all good, right? Um, How do we respond in those moments? Or here's the question is, can I still be good even when life isn't? Even when things aren't, can I still be good not in a plastic, fake, synthetic kind of way, uh, but in a way that's genuine and authentic. We've been um, making our way through the book of Philippians this summer. The series is called Side by Side, and, and, and Philippians is really a thank you letter that, that Paul had written to some friends that he loved. They lived in the city of Philippi, and there's so much in this small letter, but it starts out with Paul answering that question. How are you doing? And uh, it really wasn't a very easy answer, uh, an easy question to answer, because Paul, we found out, is, is writing this letter stuck in a prison cell. That's not exactly an ideal setting for a church planter evangelist. Um, His daily reality included significant amounts of struggle, pain, and frustration. And so as we're looking through the answer that Paul gives, it kind of sums it up at this. I'm good even though things aren't. I'm good even though things aren't. And, uh, and, and you see, in the setting that Paul was in, he locked on to some greater realities. He locked on to how God was using his suffering to shape his life, uh, to clarify what really mattered from what really didn't matter, and to, to drill down into what life is all about. And here at the beginning of this letter, he writes about it. He shares freely about it. And he does that so that his Philippian friends, and, and for you and I as well, that we can get this peek inside some of the ways that God is at work in good ways in us, even when things are a struggle. And, and, and I have a hunch as I've been studying this, this passage in this book, that, that Paul wrote because he had a sense that his Philippian friends, they had a few struggles of their own. And by sharing his story about how he's doing, he was able to show them, here's how I'm doing it. And he became a model for how to endure suffering. And I wonder if he ever could have imagined, if he could have fathomed that almost 2,000 years later, after he wrote this letter, that Christ followers around the world, people like you and like me, people who have a few struggles of our own, that we'd be able to open up to the same book and read this same letter, his same answer to the question of how he's doing, and see how he navigated his way through his seasons of suffering and find some insights there, some some gold to grab hold on, grab hold of as as we navigate our way through through seasons of suffering ourselves. So that's that's where we're at. That's what we're looking at. Let's just jump in, and we're going to start out in verse eighteen, um, and uh, and here's how it starts. What then? Only that in every way, whether in pretense or in truth, Christ is proclaimed, and in that I rejoice. Yes, and I will rejoice, for I know that through your prayers and the help of the Spirit of Jesus Christ, this will turn out for my deliverance, as it is my eager expectation and hope that I will not be at all ashamed, but that with full courage, now and always, Christ will be honored in my body, whether by life or by death. All right, let's stop right here. And uh, If you were here last week, you'll know that uh, the first part of that verse that I read was was where we left off last week. And the idea is that the last word that we left off with is the first word that we start out on. And and the word is rejoice. Paul says, I am rejoice rejoicing. And that's not likely the first word that any of us would expect to be on the tip of someone's tongue who's being detained in a prison cell, right? But it's exactly what he's saying. And and maybe you can notice how emphatic he is about it. He says, for that, I rejoice. And yes, just to make it clear, I will rejoice. This is going to continue. It's it's not just like this little squirt of joy, right? And then it's back to the real life. This this spigot is open. It's opened on full, and it's not gonna stop. Joy, it's one of the themes that runs throughout this entire letter. The, the, the Greek word is charios, and it's the it's the word, um, it's the verb form of the word for grace. And it means to delight in, to to be favorably disposed towards. And it's a verb. And Paul says, that's where I'm at. I am rejoicing. And and just to be clear, Paul's not rejoicing because he's suffering in prison, right? It's not like he's on some kind of masochistic streak. Uh, The reason he says he's rejoicing is because of something he knows, of something he's aware of that makes all the difference in the world, because he has this rock-solid confidence about how this situation that he is in is ultimately going to turn out. And so the words he chooses are very intentional and deliberate. He says, I know. He doesn't say, you know, I'm pretty sure about this. Uh, He doesn't say, I'm I'm kind of my holding my breath. I'm I'm keeping my fingers crossed. Let's hope for the best. He says, "I know. There's no doubt about it. I know how this is going to turn out. It's going to turn out for my deliverance." He's saying, "Is I'm getting out of this place, right? I can rejoice because." The promise of God means that he is going to deliver me. This is going to work out for my deliverance. Literally, that word means God is going to rescue me and save me. Paul understood that the dungeon that he was in was not his final destiny. This joy that he has, it comes from this confident expectation that the way things were at that current moment in the current chapter of life he was in regardless of how difficult it was, regardless how long it was going to last, just not the way things are going to be. It's not the place where this story is going to end. And that for us, we look at that, and that is a snapshot of of deep, pure joy. It's, It's not the kind of joy that comes from just finding yourself in the right setting, right? That's That's easy. It's easy to rejoice when the skies are clear and life is good and things are all working out the way that we want them to. This is the kind of joy that comes from setting your life on the right hope, from being anchored at the deepest level of life onto something that's so solid, so secure, so unshakable that it's there to grab hold of no matter what the situation no matter what storm I find myself in. Paul says that joy i found is found in my connection to Christ because there's no chapter, there's no situation, there's no storm we can ever find ourselves in where we won't find him present and active and working in. There for us to turn to, to grab hope from and to draw hold of. So, so let me just ask you: um, Are you able to rejoice right now? Not at some certain point in the future when things start getting better. Do you have a hope like that? A hope that's bigger than your situation and your circumstances, because it's there. And if you don't have it, I want you to know it is real and you can have it and it is found in Jesus Christ. And that confidence, that hope is empowering in the most challenging of circumstances to live out whatever chapter that we find ourselves in courageously. That's One of the points that Paul is making here, courageously, and the contrast might be courageously, not cantankerously, right? Because that's sort of the easy way to go when things aren't going good. Let me just crank a bit. Let me complain about everyone and everything. And and Paul, of course, is in prison. And and there would have been plenty for him to whine about and complain about. That would have been so easy, but he's locked onto some bigger things. Like living out this chapter that he's in right now in a way that honors Jesus. Here's how he puts it. He says that with full courage, now as always, Christ will be honored in my body, whether by life or by death. Let this venue, let this setting uh, be a platform upon which I can just show how awesome he is, demonstrate through my actions in life how great my God is. So one thing Paul understood was that God didn't put him where he was to whine and to complain. And and just in case you might be wondering yourself, it's true of you as well. And wherever it is that God has placed you, and and that means that in some way, joy is going to be chosen. There's going to be an intentional decision to make. It's a choice to live out our lives in a way that glorifies and exalts Jesus. And that does take courage. Uh, it takes, as Paul said, full courage. Let's keep up going. And, and we're going to keep reading on this passage. And, and we're going to see here, just to give you a little bit of advanced warning, is the subject matter is going to run deep. Deep. Um, Paul's going to contemplate some really significant life realities, matters of life and death, and he even articulates what his purpose for living is and what it is that actually makes life worth living. Uh, Here's what he says. He says, for me, to live is Christ and to die is gain. If I am to live in the flesh, that means fruitful labor for me. Yet, which So there's a lot in this. There's, there's a motto um, that Paul shares, and then there's a, a reason to remain, a, a meaning to life. And so uh, we'll look at them both. The motto is pretty plain, straightforward, and, and simple. It says in verse 22, it's a great verse, for me to live is Christ and to die is gain. That's, that's it. Uh, it covers the realities of life, and death, and, and in a way, he's delivering the. I'm sorry, he's defining the deliverance he's already talked about. He says, "This is going to work out for my deliverance," but but my hope is is bigger than just a physical getting out of the situation that I'm in. Uh, you know, Paul. Of course, he's been in prison. We don't know how long he's been in prison, but he might have had some time there to do some thinking and give some consideration. How are things? going to turn out he must have thought it is actually entirely possible that he would breathe his final breath inside a prison cell and here's the thing that's that's not a horrible thought for him that's not a worst case thing he is not a death denier Death to Paul was not some kind of inconvenient truth that's just too dreadful to talk about, like it is in the world, the Western world, and the culture that we live in today. Uh, It's been a reality ever since Genesis chapter 3. And despite the longest-standing survey in the history of humanity, the results, by the way, clearly show that 10 out of every 10 people surveyed dies every time, everyone, and yet our culture can't seem to deal with that. I don't want to face that reality. Let's just go shopping instead and pretend it doesn't exist. Distractions. Please hear this. If you are a believer, if your life is connected to Christ, there is no reason to blink in the face of death. If your hope is in Jesus, your life is in the strong hands of a Savior who conquered it. That's the heart. The very heart of the gospel message is Jesus' declaration of victory. The grave could not hold him. He defeated death. He resurrected back to eternal life. And at the heart of trusting in Christ is this confidence that his victory is our destiny. See, true hope and true joy, it's got to be tied to something bigger than just the here and now. It's got to be tied to the hereafter and to eternity. Paul says that is a difference maker. Now, I'll be honest and I'll tell you, I'm not all that excited about what the details are going to be for me leading up to that final breath. It's probably going to be painful and uh, inconvenient and all that kind of stuff. And yeah, I'm not so excited about it, but I do know who will be there on the other side to to welcome me. If you have trusted in Christ, your final breath marks the first moment of being face-to-face with your Savior. Death is nothing more than a doorway that Paul describes to something that is, here's his words, better by far. And let me just ask you, stop and think about that do you believe it? Not world, do you believe it? Church, do you believe it? Better by far. What's next is better by far. Is it? Or is your idea of what life is all about all wrapped up with the things that are in the here and the now? See, No eye has seen, Paul says. No ear has heard. No mind has conceived what God has prepared for those who love him. What's coming next? And that's a huge part of why Paul can be so audaciously confident and joyful in the face of a situation of suffering and, and know with confidence how things are going to turn out. This deliverance that he's hoping in, it isn't just tied to the temporary realities, it's tied to his eternal destiny. And death, what presents to most of this world as the absolute worst end, worst case scenario, the end of the story, Paul says it's not. The only thing it does is it leads us into something so much greater. He says that reality makes all the difference in the world when it comes to how We live out our lives right now. And so for you, let me just ask you, what is, for all of us, what is life all about? What is it about? You see, we're all living out the answer to that question. And for Paul, he says it's about Jesus. For me, to live is Christ. That sums it up. Knowing Christ, making him known, seeing his will done on earth as it is in heaven. Everything else is just a means, but that's the end goal. The goal is not get more stuff. The goal is not live a comfortable life. The goal is not stay safe, please people, enjoy a certain quality of life. All of those things, if you got them, great. But if you don't, then that's all right too. They come and they go, but the goal is to live life for Christ. And Paul was consumed with that. For him, that was what life was all about. And before he was ever captured and thrown into prison, Paul had been captured by Christ and his driving desire was to see his well done. And that played out in a certain way. For Paul, it played out in a life of selfless serving. And so think about this. If you say, okay, my goal is to live for Christ, you can kind of reach some different conclusions. Well, if that's the case, then maybe I should, I should run away from people and be a hermit. Go away from everyone someplace where I can just pray all day and I can read my Bible without being disrupted and I can worship God as long as I want. That must be what God wants, not, not according to Paul. Paul. Paul defined living for Christ in a very different way. For him, it meant seizing the opportunities to serve others. It's kind of crazy. He says, here's, here's my personal preference. Personally, my preference, he says, would be to go and be with Christ. But he says, I know I will remain and continue with you all for your progress and joy in the hell, so that in me you may have cause to glory in Christ because of my coming to you again. You know what he's saying there? He says, Serving you guys is my reason for living. That's what makes life worth living right and so he's teasing out some possibilities here and just to clarify i do think he's 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 doing some hypothesizing and theorizing i don't think actually paul had the choice to make i can go to heaven now or i can stay on earth um i think he's just processing out loud and i'll add to that i think he's doing so for a really good reason he's doing it so the his philippian friends and and you and i as well We can get a glimpse of how he thinks, and we can see the filter through which he makes decisions and what's a priority to him. So he's modeling, here's what the default setting of the Christian life gets set to, selfless serving. And that's important for us to see because there's so many moments in the course of daily life when we just have these decisions to make am I gonna choose to do what's best for me or what's best for you? Every day, many times a day. And so here's, here's the question, uh, another question that we get to answer. When I, when I have the free time, when I'm not in prison, when I'm not constrained, what do I do? What do I choose? I think in our culture today, The defaults are often set on, I am going to work my job as hard as I can to the point of exhaustion, and then I'm going to take it easy because i got nothing left in the tank. I'm going to relax, and I'm going to chill out, and then I'm going to do it again. It's no way to live. Paul lived to serve. He says, As soon as I'm out of this place, I'm going back to you so I can help you, so I can serve you. And whatever time God has given us in this very short span that we call a lifetime, make it about building others up, edify, serve, strengthen each other. That is what makes life worth living. See, we're here to be a blessing, to build up those that we have The privilege of being connected in a relationship too. So let's let's finish up. Let's read the rest of the passage. And this is the point, actually, where Paul shifts gears from himself. He's been talking about himself this entire start of the book, and he's going to shift gears and start talking to his friends. He says this, "'Only let your manner of life be worthy of the gospel of Christ, so that whether I come and see you or am absent, I may hear that you are standing firm in one spirit,' so here's the temptation. The temptation is we read through Paul's update as he is talking about how he's going and everything he's writing. And of course, first of all, be like really impressed. Wow, this guy is a superstar. The way he's living out his faith in the setting he's in, doing that in prison. And then follow that up and say, thank God it's him and not me, right? Thank God I don't have to do that. Living like that, that's for certain people. That's for the spiritual superheroes, not for the ordinary folk like me. Paul says, no. No, he says, the details are going to be different, but the manner of life that I'm modeling for you here applies to all of us. Now, it's taken 27 verses for us to get to the first command in this book of Philippians. And did you catch it? Here it is. Only, this is it, only let your manner of life be worthy of the gospel of Christ. That's the expectation. And it's actually more of an invitation than it is an expectation for us in whatever setting we find ourselves in to do the same thing that Paul did to rise above our circumstances, to work through where we're at in a way that reflects the reality that our lives are wrapped up with a risen Savior who's conquered death. His name is Jesus. And to live it out with outrageous joy, with audacious hope, and with selfless serving. Live it out. And live it out together, he says, striving side by side. We're not doing this on our own. We need the help of our brothers and sisters. We need each other because times get tough. We all know that. And if we don't, Paul assures us. He, Paul's, he, he assures his friends, I'm not the only one who has some opponents. So do you. If you haven't noticed, once you start doing life with Jesus, once you start living out a biblical worldview... Not everyone responds favorably, right? Jesus experienced it. Paul experienced it. And yet sometimes we live with this delusion that if I just live like Jesus, everyone is going to like me. It's a fairy tale. Um, but here's the, op- here's the thing. Opposition presents an opportunity, Opposition presents an opportunity. The opportunity is, it's not this. Don't be a jerk for Jesus, all right? I'll start with that. Don't go that route. We have enough jerks for Jesus. We don't need any more. Um, Live out loud how much Christ means to you right there in the setting you're in. Paul calls his friends to stand firm together, and that by doing that, it would send a clear message to those who oppose them. I think that 's something we need to rediscover, maybe in, in in the season of whatever we are in in this culture where, where, where the Christian voice is becoming a minority voice, right um. One thing we can't do, let us not mistake being loving for being spineless. Please, do not mistake being loving for being spineless. Standing firm, um, it does mean we strive to be compassionate, but it also means we, we hold on to conviction. That matters. And just like it, it wasn't easy for Paul, he makes it clear Suffering is a part of the game plan. It's been granted to you for the sake of Christ that you should not only believe in him, but suffer for his sake, engaged in the same conflict you saw that I had, and now you hear I still have. How many of you have that verse underlined in your Bible? See, here's the thing. There's something bigger that God wants to do then just make your life easier and to provide some kind of power-up boost in your quest for self-actualization. There's things that God wants to do in your life that only get forged in hardship. See, they don't tend to happen when things are just going easy. It's been granted to me to suffer to you to suffer, to experience these hardships and difficulties. They're there, not by mistake, not so God can just zap them and get them out of our path, but so that he can do something good even when life isn't good. And maybe in the process, pry our hands off of things that, that we're grabbing too tight that don't really matter and see what really does matter. So So how are you doing? What are you discovering about what really matters? Because just like Paul gave this update about how God was working a bad situation to accomplish good things in and through his life, I think there's still stories to be told how, how God is gonna use the hardships that we're going through to, to break down the lesser things and to build up the better things and, 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 and to be a part of what God is doing. Uh, so what stories might get told? Maybe if we just shift our prayer requests, stop asking God just to change my situation. Start asking God, change me do your work in me, whether it's through an easy time or a painful time. That's less important than whatever season I'm in, whatever chapter I'm in, that I can just live it out in a way that honors and reflects you and see what happens. Let's pray together. Lord,